So real quick, a recap just to kind of explain where we're picking up. In Old Testament 1, uh, Moses was called to set Israel free from the bondage of Egypt, and uh, they are delivered. They are brought across the Red Sea, and Egypt is destroyed. And they've been encamping in Mount Sinai for about a year now, and that's where we're picking up on this journey as they begin to head towards Canaan, the promised land that God had uh, for Israel. So he instructs Israel to leave Mount Sinai and to move forward. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereunto in the plain and the hills and the vale and in the south and by the seaside to the land of the Canaanites, excuse me, and unto Lebanon and to the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. So uh, Israel is now about to, about to begin their journey. It's time for them to move. Something to note is how Israel knew it was time to move for, uh, for them as a nation. When it was time for them to leave somewhere, when it was time for them to stay somewhere, they had something rather amazing happen. And it picks up in Numbers chapter 9. Now, one thing you'll notice, uh, does everyone know that the Bible is not chronological, right? Like, it's not like a nonfiction, a fiction book where you're just reading front to back and it's just beginning. And obviously, there's the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible. But it's all, I like to view it kind of as, uh, where's my water? Oh, I can't take the tops off. Kind of like fluid. Like, if one minute I'm holding the bottle this way, this is the top, this is the bottom. If I turn it this way, now this is the top and this is the bottom. If I turn it sideways, now, like, the, the water is constantly moving. It's flowing. It's all connected. And so you'll see a lot of times we'll be talking about something, we'll jump from Numbers to Deuteronomy or another verse or another passage of Scripture because some stuff is prophetic about what's coming. Other stuff, it's telling the same story. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the same story told from different perspectives. Um, and that is, that is what's amazing about it is how it's all connected and how it flows together and how it works together. So if we jump from one passage to another, that's what's happening. So Numbers chapter 9 Uh, verses 15, and we'll just read a few verses, tells us how the children of Israel knew it was time to move, or how they knew it was time to stay still. And this is pretty awesome. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. Then after the children of Israel journeyed, and in the place where the cloud abode, the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, and the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not." They were literally being led by a a manifestation of God's presence. There was a pillar of cloud. There was a pillar of fire. There was the Ark of the Covenant. These were things that God had provided for Israel that were literally ways his presence was leading them and guiding them and directing them. I don't know about you, but I kind of think that's pretty awesome. Like that is, I mean, let's, let's put it this way. How many of you, so we all know we follow our peace, right? We let the Lord lead us and guide us and direct us. How many of you would think it'd be pretty easy? You know, you come up to the church. Let's say, let's say it's uh, it's Thursday night. It's 
9.30, and I'm like, you know, I just need to go to the chapel and pray. And I go to the chapel, and I pray, and I'm feeling to pray. And I go to walk out, and there's a pillar of cloud sitting on top of my car. Well, it's not moving. All right, going back to the chapel. <laughs> you go back, and you pray some more, and you come out an hour later. Still not moving. All right, I'm just going to stay here, and I'm going to keep staying until the, the, the cloud or the pillar of fire starts moving. Okay, the pillar of cl- fire starts moving. It's time for me to move. Like, th- think about it. How easy is that? Would, does anyone think that would be pretty simple to follow God? Like, I'm not trying to necessarily set you up, but it's pretty simple, right? Like, there is such this manifestation, this this easy navigation, whereas we're like, follow your peace and and, and let the Lord lead you and guide you. Well, it'd be pretty simple to lead me and guide me with a pillar of fire sitting in front of me. But uh, the, not to quote a superhero, but the phrase goes, with great power comes great responsibility. And so the, the interesting thing, and this is something we'll see quite a lot of, in uh, these, these stories, this, this time period recovering, is that level of uh, access that they had and the way that God rep- represented himself to them, the way he, he showed himself to them, it kind of required a lot because the moment they disobeyed or the moment they didn't listen, the moment God started to move and they didn't want to or God wasn't moving and they wanted to, it came at an extreme Price. There was sickness that would get cast out into the, into the nation, or uh, people would die, or literally there was crazy things. And I've had people ask me, in fact, where's Mike? We were talking about this with someone the other day, uh, where people have asked the question like, well, why doesn't God do stuff like that today? Well, how come, how come I don't get a pillar of fire to let me, or like uh, Gideon, how come I don't get to say, God, if this is really you, then let this thing be wet and the ground be dry, and let this thing be dry and the ground be wet. Why can't you reveal yourself? How come I don't get a burning bush? I'd love to go out front and see the tree on fire, but it not burning to let me know God's here. Yeah, but the moment they disobeyed, God was like, all right, that's it, leprosy. <laughs> like, they're just getting attacked. So, Imagine us today going into the grocery store and God's tugging on your heart. Yeah, go talk to that person. Tell them about Jesus. And you're like, oh, you know, okay. Yeah, you know what? It's fine. They don't need to hear it today. They don't really want to know. And then all of a sudden you just look and you're leprosy everywhere. And you're just like, what? Like that's what was happening for them. They disobeyed and it came at a cost. Are you all okay? I'm going to say, I'm, I'm, I think, I think uh, the chapel spoiled me a little bit. They were a little closer and their energy was very high. I think they were a bunch of oranges. So right now I'm trying to process this new classroom. Work with me. It's just like y'all are just like. So I'm like, I'm just making sure y'all are good. Also, I am well aware I have a problem talking fast. I am working on it. I am aware of it. I am slowing myself down. But sometimes I get excited and it just shoots off like pistons. So work with me. I'm working with you. You work with me. We're doing good. Everyone smiles. You're good. All right. Awesome. Anyway, so they had this privilege, but it did come with great punishment if they had moments of disobedience. And let's actually look at one of the first times where stuff starts to happen with Israel. So they are, again, they're starting this journey, right? They're now leaving Mount Sinai. They've been there for about a year, and they are journeying to or towards the promised land. And they begin to complain. This is in Numbers chapter 10, where they start to complain to God. Again, now they had already been complaining to God before. There was a moment at the Red Sea, when they're complaining to Moses and God, you brought us out of Egypt, out of bondage, to die by the hands of the Egyptians out here. This isn't any better. And they're fussing at God, and they're fussing at Moses, saying this is no way to go. But God provides a way. He opens the Red Sea, lets them pass, destroys the enemy, and they're fine. But then they get on the other side. Now they're in the wilderness. Now they're thirsty. And they say, oh, you brought us here to die of thirst. We're not going to have anything to drink. And what does God do? Provides again. He gives 
um, tells Moses to strike a rock. And out of this rock, they're going to get water. And they, they have another way that was made for them. And yet, later, they're complaining about food. And now God does this thing where he provides manna for them. Literally, miraculously, six out of seven days of the week. They go out of their tent in the morning, boop, just food sitting there. That would be, I cannot stand grocery shopping. That would be awesome. If I could just, you know, wake up and it's just, boom, right there, I'd love it. Man, y'all are really hard. See, like, downstairs, they'd have ate that up for no reason. Like, <laughs> all right, anyway. So, uh, yeah, the, y'all, I think y'all, y'all just used to pass it. That's what it is. Y'all just, like, just get that, that big, like, heavy steak, like that six-ounce, eight-ounce, and I'm just up here trying to give you cereal. I see what's happening. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um. No, I'm, yeah, I love cereal. I'm saying I can get full on cereal. You eat enough. Now, the steak might fill you up quicker. You might have to have four bowls of cereal before it fills the same, but it'll still fill you up after a while. I'm not going to keep out here that long, though. I don't have that much energy. Uh, believe it or not, I don't. So, I lost my spot. Fantastic. Um, yes, they are, they are getting manna provided for them every day. But now Israel wants to complain yet again. Now they're fussing at God and Moses saying, we're tired of manna, okay? We've had it nonstop, every day, over and over and over again. We want something new. In fact, we had it so much better in Egypt. They had leeks and garlics and onions and, and fish and all these wonderful things. We'd just rather go back to Egypt because we're tired of this manna. We had it better there. I'm sorry. Did we forget what happened to them in Egypt? The bondage, the slavery, the, the, the beating and the being whipped to death. And the, the, your job in Egypt was to wake up, work and grind all day for the man, get paid nothing. It was just your job. Then go home, sleep, rinse and repeat, do it again. Like that was their life. And now they're in the wilderness. They're free. And they're looking back at what they had and saying, oh, but it was so nice there. That is... If that is not an accurate representation of the world today, I don't know what is. Because it, pastors preached a message on it, and he calls it the law of liberty. He taught it a lot as, when I was in chapel in Antioch Christian School. And it's the, 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 based on the, the biblical principle of how with God you, you submit to his, his will, you submit to his way, you submit to this life of bondage. So one day you can have this freedom. But then the devil comes and he says, no, I'll give you all these things you want right now. And you have all this freedom all these wants. But eventually it leads to a time and eternity of bondage. And that's what Egypt represents as the world. And so Israel's been set free from all of that. And they're looking back there saying, oh, but it was so nice over there. We had all these wonderful things. No, you didn't. If it was so great when you were there, when Moses said, hey, let's get out of here. You said, no, we've got leeks and garlics and onions. We don't want to leave. No, you were like, get me out of here because you were in slavery and bondage. But it's kind of like that grass is always greener on the other side mindset. They're now out of this and they're free, but they're too busy looking at what they don't have. And Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he refers to it as lust. He was saying they they were lusting. They were looking at something that they couldn't have. It's not that they, weren't, they were supposed to eat manna for the rest of their lives. God told them, you're going to land fully with milk and honey. You have other things one day, but right now, this is what I'm providing for you. But they're so busy looking at what they don't have, and what they, what they, they're so busy ignoring the miraculous provision that God has given them because they were focused on what they don't have. And so uh, God punishes Israel because of it. There was... A fire that broke out through the camp. But the, the funny part, this was like a two-part punishment. The fire part breaks out in the fire throughout the camp. And they pray to Moses 
tell God to stop this, please. We're, we're sorry, forgive us. Moses intercedes. He stops it. The crazy thing, though, is later, God says, all right, you know what? Fine. Gonna, y'all, want, y'all want some meat? I'll give you some meat. I'm going to give you plenty of meat. I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to be coming out of your ears. So he tells them, he's like, all right, I'm going to send you some meat. So he sends them quail. He doesn't send them one, one, one quail, a household, three quail. He sends them two, two, three feet of quail. He sends, it says the way the, the, the Bible talks about it, it says there was a day's journey one way and a day's journey the other. Think about that. Three feet worth of quail for a day's journey one way or the other. I took this one out of Brother Brown's notebook. That is quite foul. <laughs> I wrote that one down from last semester. <laughs> oh, man. Think about it. That is disgusting. They said they couldn't even sit down because it was three feet deep of quail a day's journey. One way. God said, all right, y'all want some meat? I'm going to give you some meat. You're going to have enough meat to last you a lifetime. Talk about Egypt had it nice. I'll give you some meat. So he gives them meat, and obviously it was a little more than they could handle because they went, happily went back to the manna after that. But uh, this is what you see kind of happen is we're setting up what you're, what you're going to see in this class is a pattern that takes place with Israel where there was, whether there was complaining or there was a lack of trust or there was, they were looking at something they weren't supposed to be looking at, they were touching something they weren't supposed to be touching. There was this process where they were called to walk in this purpose, walk in this plan, walk in this, be this chosen nation that God had called them to be. But they constantly went against God, went against his way, went against his will, went against his plan, weren't led by his, his presence, weren't walking in his purpose, whatever the case may be. They were constantly doing this, and God had to adjust. He says, okay, you make this choice. It's got these consequences. And there's this, this cycle that we will begin to see take place. Something else that takes place, we just talked about how they had the moment of lust. Even pride was another issue that came up. You have uh, Aaron and Miriam, uh, Moses's, uh, Moses's, 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 Moses, Moses had siblings. And the siblings' names were Miriam and Aaron. And uh, Moses married an Ethiopian woman, and his siblings weren't too happy about that. And they also started to realize, you know what, we've done stuff. We've led Israel. In fact, Aaron's like, in fact, I did half the miracles. Like, the Lord did them through me. Like, it was my rod. So I, I kind of think, they kind of get this point of, like, you know, we're somebody, and we could be leading just as much as Moses. Moses isn't someone special. And God isn't happy about this. And so he calls Aaron, Miriam, and Moses and, and has a meeting with them, sort of speak. And I love the way, this is in uh, Numbers chapter 12. I love the way, what, what, verse, what verse 3 has to say about Moses. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were open, up, open upon the face of the earth. Now that word meek is true to the definition. If you look it up in the Hebrew, it's talking about humility. It's talking about a lowness. It's talking about this, that he, he was a very humble man. And that's something you will start to see constantly in this, again, this cycle that you'll see with, with Israel sinning and then Moses interceding for them. There's always this reference of Moses humbling himself or Moses lowering himself, Moses bringing himself to a place of humility before his congregation, but also before God. And that is something that Aaron and Miriam were clearly lacking because if anything is the enemy of humility, I dare say it's probably pride. And that's exactly what Miriam and Aaron are finding themselves in. They're like, well, we're somebody. We could be doing this. We, Moses isn't that special. We, we've, we've made it here ourselves as well. And they have this, 
but, but they have this, they, they were there with, with the miracles. They were there with the signs and the wonders. They experienced all these great things, sure. But they clearly were lacking one of the main things that made Moses who he was, and that was a spirit of humility. And so, again, we see now we've got some people dealing with pride, and there's another issue later we'll talk about in a couple lessons, where there's another instance where pride kind of rises up in the camp and people try to rebel. But God stands before Moses and Aaron and Miriam and says, this is the man that I have appointed to be here. This is the man that I have said has this role, has this responsibility. He's not like everyone else. He's not like the other the prophets and the other elders and the other people that I have put over this camp. He's different. And again, immediately there is a consequence. Miriam gets leprosy, and uh, Aaron begins to beg for forgiveness to Moses and to God, and God restores her after she spends seven years, or seven years, excuse me, seven days outside of the camp, basically like a, this is what life would be like without me type of learn your lesson. So I'm showing, again, this pattern that you'll see, and a lot of times as we cover some stuff, you're going to see like there's a lot of where God just, just went in, and he was just like, it was... Uh, I guess when you read this stuff, some, the, what might confuse some people is they say, well, God is, is very loving and he's very kind, he's very compassionate, and there's all this, and he is. But again, he had a relationship with these people, and he manifested himself with them in a, diff- in a very, very uh, uh, natural way. And because of that, when they did not obey, there was some heavy consequences that a lot of times followed that. But we're going to see the pattern, and we're going to see the process as we go through this. But, uh, so we've already seen from the very beginning, this is, that Israel clearly is going to have some issues with uh, following God, believing in God, trusting God. And these issues, we'll notice, will create a bit of a pattern that Israel and, and God kind of have with this back and forth. Um, but, and I'm actually finished, this, the first lesson's kind of short, but uh, I do want to emphasize this one thing and kind of take you back a moment to something. This is the pattern that we can apply to our lives right here. And this is kind of, if you forget everything else I've said tonight, which is possible because I say it really fast, this is, this is something that is, that is very practical and very crucial to our lives today. And that is the pattern that you will see God established with his people as they were walking every single day towards the promise that God had given them. And the pattern starts all the way back with Moses. As I said before, Moses was on the backside of a mountain. This is before he has set Israel free, before he has decided to follow the plan and purpose of God. He has an experience with God's presence, right? He is, he has, he's out in the wilderness, he's doing his thing, and there is a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning. It's not being quenched. And he knows that there's something about this. I need to check it out. He goes and he talks to it and finds out that this is God. And he has an experience with God's presence. And God tells him, I want to use you to set my people free. I want to use you to lead my nation towards their promises. In fact, I want y'all to go into the promised land. And this is what I have in store for you. This is where I want you to go. So I need you to start doing some stuff. And so Moses says, long story short, okay, I'm going to do it. And he starts walking into this purpose that God had planned for him. Now, while he's in Egypt, he starts to experience God's power. We know that God did many miraculous things while they were in Egypt. He did plagues and miracles, signs and wonders, all this crazy stuff to, to set Israel free. And he was using Moses to do this. And after, again, watch the pattern. You're going to start to see where I'm going with this. After he experiences God's presence and he walks in God's purpose, he experiences God's power 
and then he received God's promise. Because remember, in the beginning, in Exodus, when he's talking to God, God's promise to him was, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And so he uses them, uses Moses to set his people free. And now you're going to see the same exact pattern repeat itself with the nation of Israel. Because what's one of the first things that takes place when Israel gets separated and out of Egypt? They're in the wilderness, and God starts leading them by what? His presence. He had a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. They built the Ark of the Covenant, and God started leading his people with his presence. And if you, when we go into it in the, uh, future chapters, the Ark was constantly leading them into battle, leading them into this new place, leading them in this new location. They were being led every day by the presence of God. And as they were being led by the presence of God, God began to establish a purpose in his nation. They began to receive law. They began to receive direction. God began to tell them, you are my chosen people. This is what I have in store for you. This is what I have planned for you. This is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to be. And Israel every day began to walk in that purpose. Not only that, how were they sustained every single day? By experiencing the power of God. Every single day, God provided food for them. God didn't let their clothes wear. God miraculously delivered them from many, many enemies, many battles. There's things where they were fighting this one battle and Moses' hands are up and they're winning. He takes his hands down and they're losing. There was God's power was literally providing a way for them every single day. So now Israel is experiencing, is being led by God's presence and is walking in their purpose and is experiencing God's power. And only by following that process were they able ever to reach and embrace the promises that God had in store for them. Because what was the promise for Israel? To make it to this promised land, to make it to the land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God said, I have in store for you. But it required them to be led by his presence, to walk in his purpose, and to experience his power. And what you will see is almost, if not every single time, from the ones we cover, and if you want to read it on your, by yourself and find the ones that we don't cover, anytime somebody was, was cut out of Israel, maybe they, they, were, uh, they, they were told, like, there's a point in which we'll find out that God tells some people they're not going to be able to go into the promised land. There's other people that died from a plague or died from something happening in the camp. You will notice every single time something, someone did not get to access the promised land, maybe it's because, again, they died or God just flat out told them, you're not going in there. It's because one of three things happened. They stopped being led by his presence, or they stopped walking in his purpose, or they did not trust his power to keep them and to protect them with whatever it was God was telling them to do. A couple of examples, like I said, we'll cover a lot of them, but I've got extra time, so we're just going to go with it. A couple of examples, God's presence. Like I said, the Ark of the Covenant was something that they went to where they would lead into battle. And there was a moment when Israel decides, we want to take the promised land. We want to fight this battle. Excuse me, and we'll talk about it in a few lessons. But they say, we want to, we want to fight this battle. And Moses tells them, myself and God, the presence of God, are not going into that battle. And uh, the Israel says, well, we can do it anyway. We're going to still take the land. We got this. And they go into battle. Guess what happened? They lost. A lot of people died. Why? Because they were not led by the presence. If they stay where the presence of God was, they'd have been fine. And then another instance comes where uh, they're not being—they're not walking in the purpose of God. They weren't called. They were called to be this this chosen nation, but they no longer were walking in that purpose. Why? What happens? There's a moment in which they start to make idols. 
They used their jewelry and stuff to have Aaron bake an idol and create this false god, this false... They weren't, cho- they weren't chosen to be idol worshipers. They were chosen to be the nation that worshipped the one true living God. They weren't walking in their purpose, and so some, a lot of people died there too. And they couldn't receive the promises of God. And the people, they didn't trust the power of God. That's exactly what happened. When, when Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies go into the land to find out what's going on, and 10 of them say, we can't take it, they're too big, they're too powerful. I'm sorry, did your God not just move waters to make a way for you? Did he not provide food for you every single day? Have you not experienced his power over and over and over again? Has he not proved himself that he will keep you and that he will protect you? And they didn't trust the power of God to protect them. And because of that, they forfeited the promises of God. And so the same thing applies to us today. And that's the pattern and the principle I want you to start getting down is, and if you haven't caught on by now, that theme sounds very familiar, presence, purpose, power. If we can be led by the presence of God and walk in his purpose and experience his power, then we can receive his promises. But it's not something that we just, I'm going to do it right now, Jesus. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be led by your presence, and I'm going to walk in your purpose, and I'm going to experience your power, and I'm going to receive everything you have for me, and that's the end of it. No. What did Israel do? Every single day, they were led by his presence. If God said move, they moved. If God said stay still, they stood still. Every single day, they had to walk in that purpose. They had to walk through lands and nations that did idolatry, that, that had false idols, that did all of these things that they were not called to do. They had to walk in that purpose. And every single day, they had to experience and encounter God's power in their life. And only by them doing that, those were the ones that made it all the way were the ones that every single day made this decision. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. And this is how I'm going to get where God wants me to get. And that's the same pattern for us today. We have to be led by his presence. When I wake up in the morning, I need to know, God, you're with me. God, you're directing me. God, you're guiding me. God, you're keeping me. I'm not going to be led by my own desires, my own wants, my own wishes. I'm going to be led by your presence. I'm going to make sure I'm connected to you when I wake up in the morning because I can't make it through the day without you. And I'm going to be led by your presence. We have to walk in his purpose. We have to be who he's called us to be. Do what he's called us to do and go where he's called us to go. I'm not called to be Mike. I love Mike McGurk. He's one of my closest friends. I'm not called to be him. He's not called to be me. It's hard sometimes because the man is on fire. He does some amazing stuff in the pulpit. I love him to death. But I had to reach a point where I said, I'm not called to be Mike McGurk. I'm called to be Jalen. And I have to walk in the purpose that God has placed in me. I have to trust the purpose that God has placed in me and be who he has called me to be. And the same thing with power. And believe it or not, I think power is probably the one we forfeit quite often. Because a lot of times we feel it's got to be the person up here that's doing it, or we have to have that special service to experience the power, or we have to have someone lay hands on us to experience the power. I'm sorry. When I was going through uh, this, this, this passage, I didn't see Israel going to their 70 elders and saying, hey, can you give us our manna for today? Or, or Moses, hey, can you, can you do X, Y, and Z for us? Do you have, do you have this and that? They, they, weren't, they weren't there for some Guidance, maybe, but how did the man how did that power of God manifest itself in their life every day? Did they go to their leader to find to get them to get that portion, or did the, the did God say, "Here's this for you"? I have this for you. They had the same amount of access to God's power that that, that that everyone in the camp did. It wasn't a specific man of God that was 
had all this power, had all this access. They all had the same access, and that's the same thing with us today. God has given us power, and so many of us, we neglect it, or maybe we think we can only access that Sunday to Sunday. When we're all together, it's easy to pray. It's easy to believe God do the miracle. But what about when you're at your, your, your school? What about when you're on, uh, at your job site, when you're by yourself, when you're alone, when you're on your home? That same God, that same power that's here on Sunday, that's here on Thursday, that's here at home group is the same power that's with you when you're on your college campus, the same power that's with you when you're at your jobs, the same power that's with you when you're in your home. I've had some amazing times with God when I'm just one-on-one, where I'm driving down the road and next you know the power of God just slaps me across the face and I'm just weeping. Thankfully, it wasn't so uncontrollable that I couldn't control my car, but that I just felt his power. I felt his love. I felt his presence. It didn't take me having to come here and hear five songs sung first and hear the perfect message to access that because that's the kind of relationship that we were blessed with, that we were given. Especially, again, thinking about the presence of God in the Old Testament, that's something that they were that was a little different for them. They didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. They didn't have the opportunity to experience that presence on a one-on-one personal level like we do. We've been given this opportunity and this privilege to experience the, the, the love of God on a different level, to experience the presence of God on a different level. And that is ultimately with everything that came on with Engage, that was what I just, for me at least, what I got out of so much of it was those moments was like that, the present service, if y'all were here for that, it was powerful. And you felt the presence of God and we were all praying and snot was flying everywhere. And we was like, oh God, we love you, Jesus. And we're on our face. And it was powerful. But you know what I did after that? It was Valentine's Day, so I had to go out to dinner. But after that, for once in my life, it was new, right? But after that, I, uh, <laughs> after that, I went to my house and I was like, God, I need to get what I just had at that church building. I need to get it right here. And I fell on my face and I began to pray and cry out to God. I said, God, I need to feel that same presence here because if I experience it on Sunday, praise God. But if I can't experience that every morning and every night when I'm walking with you, then I'm not going to be able to make it. And so the same thing that we see that, that, that allowed Moses to reach his promise of delivering Egypt. And the same thing that we see in the pattern with Israel that helped them be led into the promised land is the same pattern that we could follow today. We have to be led by his presence. We have to walk in his purpose. And we have to experience and encounter and activate his power. And only then can we receive the promises of God. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for everything that you've done in and through our lives, for getting everyone here safely, for providing us another opportunity to encounter your presence and engage with your purpose, Father. Right now, God, we pray that everything we've heard tonight from Brother Brown's teaching to learning about the Old Testament in Israel, God, that it would be written in our hearts, not for head knowledge, not so we could just know more about the word, but also, God, so we could actually understand it and apply it to our lives and we could allow it to to mold us and shape us and change us into who you have called us to be. Help us, God, to not forfeit the opportunity and the privilege we've been given to, to walk with you every single day, to be led by your presence. And help us, Father, to not forfeit the potential that we have in our lives, God, to to reach the full status of the purpose that you have for us to be everything that you have called us to be and do everything that you've called us to do, Father. 
And also, God, give us the strength, Father, to embrace our weaknesses so that we could be made strong through you and that we know that your power could flow through us and we could be led by your presence, God, to let your power flow through us and let the things that you want to happen in and through our lives take place. Help us to not limit you, God, by our experiences, by our circumstances, by the way things look, but to trust you, to trust your calling on our lives, to trust your perfect will and plan. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have done in and through our lives. We thank you for everything that you are doing in and through this congregation and in and through your church as a whole. And we believe you, God, for the promises and for everything that you have in store for us, everything that you are doing and everywhere that you are taking us. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it, God, and we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name.